Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. All I have needed, thy hand has already provided. All I have needed, God's hands has already provided. So great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto to me. Can you stand your feet, please? We're going to preach. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. I have needed thy hand hath provided. Listen to that. All I have needed in the future, your hand has already provided. That's prophetic. All I have ever needed, God's hand has provided. So my heart's response is, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto to me. If he's been faithful, can you give him praise? If you know he's great and he's faithful, I hear your hands, but can you open up your mouth and shout unto God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being great. Oh, great is our faithfulness. Great is our faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Matthew 1, 18. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is God's faithfulness. Great is God's faithfulness. No need to worry because great is God's faithfulness. Lord, Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Let's read that. Keep playing that, Josh. Great is. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. There we go. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Next verse. But after he had considered this, somebody say after, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill, somebody say fulfill, 
what the Lord had said to the prophet. Verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, the last verse. When Joseph woke up, somebody say, wake up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Pastor started this series called The Present of Presence. And this morning, we're going to talk about worship. Somebody say worship. Father, I pray that in the next couple of moments you speak to us. I thank you for your presence that is already in this room. I thank you that your word is going to go out with power and clarity and might. And that the hearts are ready to receive everything heaven has to offer. It's in your son's name we pray. One more time, give God praise by clapping of your hands. The present of presence, worship. Um, Elder Anita, God is the type of God that he does things way in advance before people will ever need them or recognize what they are or even are able to capable of recognizing and saying that's God um, God does things we call him the alpha and he's not the alpha or so he's not the beginning or the end he's both the beginning and that makes sense so his omnipresence being everywhere at the same time so we're in time and we're going a long step by step whereas God is already at the end of it looking at the journey and say okay yeah you're right on track or you're not there or keep keep coming because he does things in what we would call presets this is how he tells Jeremiah hey before I formed you in mother's womb I knew you and I called you to be a nation I called you to be a prophet to the nation it's, it's a it's a pre it's a preset this is why he can say as you are blessed in the field, blessed when you come and blessed when you go because it's a preset of God being released in the earth. Uh, Mr. Dante, may I have that chair, please? May I have that chair? We're going we're gonna to place that chair somewhere right around about that organ, that newer thing. Yes, sir, right over there by, by, uh, by uh, right there. Uh, a little bit further. A little bit further. Yes, sir, right there. Can you do me a favor? I need your help. We're talking about the precepts of God. We're going to get to worship in a moment. I promise it's going to make sense. Follow me, my, my friend. So God says, hey, you know what? My preset has already been set. You can't see it because you're on the journey towards it. And what you can't see, we have a tendency to say that we don't understand or we'll cast it aside and saying God's not there. When God was like, hey, if I am omnipotent in your life, I've already been where you're headed. So God says, okay, now walk along with me. And in this journey, you kind of get tired, you get weak, and there's a point you want to stop. And God's like, ah, you can't stop here because this is not going to give you the rest that you need. This isn't my preset. He can't sit on this. Oh, okay. This is not going to provide him the rest that he needs in his life. It looks good. It'll work for other things, but it's not going to give him what he needs. And if you're not careful, you will walk along life's journey and try to stop somewhere and to pull something out of something that is not designed to do the something you're trying to pull it from. I'm going to say it again. Along life's journey, if you're not careful, you will try to make this a chair when God says, that's not a chair. You can't use it for that purpose, or in other words, you can't pervert it for that purpose. So God says, this is not my preset, but I know you're tired, and I know you're weary. So what I did was, I hopped in the mind of a man, and in the mind of this man, I gave him this idea to put metal together and put these things called legs on cushions hmm. long before 
Minister Dante ever got here, in the mind of someone, God had a preset destination for the chair you're sitting in. Hmm. So along the journey, Mr. Dante's tired and he's weary and, and now he's here. But look, look, look there, there, is, there is nothing in the preset of God that he can even reach. Have you ever been here before where you're trying to reach and grab and you feel like, God, where are you? Because you stopped prematurely before you got to the preset of, uh, of God. So along the journey, God's like, okay, if you, keep, if you keep obeying me and keep following my voice, I will eventually sit you down in the preset that I set for you. Stay there for a second. Now watch, now watch. Now this is important because, again, you're sitting in the preset of God. I know it doesn't make sense. Thank you, Mr. Dante. You're sitting in it right now. God gave a man an idea about a chair years before you got here so that on this day, right now, you could sit in this church in these brown chairs and listen to somebody preach to you about what God had done a long time ago in the mind of a man so you could have rest. You see how the preset of God works out in the mind of people? We're talking about presets. So, um, uh, let's talk about Adam for a second. Let, let, let's talk about Adam. Adam, Adam is, is in a garden. He's responsible for it. Um, the Bible says that God creates everything and then creates Adam. Watch this. God, watch the pattern of God. He creates everything and then creates Adam. And so God says, now, hey, Adam, you have my power, my ruach, my creative breath on the inside of you. That's going to come back, and, and we're going to come back and talk about that in a moment. My creative breath, my ability to speak or say something, and what you speak or say will be released in an environment, and the environment that you're in has to respond to what you say because it's me speaking, not you. But I'm going to honor you because you're honoring me by speaking what's inside of you. That makes sense? Okay, we're going somewhere. So the Bible says that he creates Adam and he creates all these animals and God says name them. Adam just starts naming them, naming them, naming them, naming them, naming them. Walrus, shark, dog, cat, cow, spider, snake, meow, all that, all that stuff. He just started naming it. The snake does the meow, but y'all know what I mean. Um, he starts naming them and then the Bible says that God says, hey, you can have everything in the garden, but you can't touch that tree. His wife goes gets the fruit, eats it, brings it back to Adam. Adam eats it, and now there is a disconnection in the preset of God. So God comes in, and he says, hey, Adam, hey, where are you at? Notice who he called first. Who did he call first? Hmm, interesting. You never hear Eve's name mentioned. He didn't, and it's not to discredit her. He, there was a preset in his mind about the relationship and the authority that Adam was supposed to have with God. So he says, Adam, where are you at? And Adam's like, hey, man, I'm high. He's like, why are you hiding? Who told you that my preset wasn't good enough for you? Who told you what I gave you wasn't good enough for you? Why are you hiding from me? The Bible says, Adam says, and now there is this disconnection between God and Adam. So what he does is he sets up an example. He says, okay, I created it. So what I created, you named it. I'm going to kill it, and I'm going to allow what I kill to cover you. I'm going to say it again. Think about the, think about the order of God. He cre ah, that's so good. He created the animal he was going to kill before Adam ever took a bite of the fruit. In the mind of God, we're talking about God already being there before you get there. He created the animal that he knew he was going to kill before Adam took the bite. And when Adam took the bite, the animal was already ready to be sacrificed. 
So God says, you called it that, you named it that, but I'm, I'm going to kill it, and I'm going to allow what I kill to cover you. One preset. Let's talk about, come here, Paul. Paul, can you, can you come in for a second, please, kind sir? We need your help. Um, Paul, known as Saul, is, is killing Christians at this present point. He is a murderer, there, and there is no shame in Paul's game. He has been killing people, and this is what Paul is on. Paul, Saul, same person. Paul has been doing um, for a long time, and then the Bible says he's on his beast, and he has this encounter or this confrontation with God. He, he is on life, he, he, and he goes, in the confrontation, Paul becomes blind, and he's like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Now, now, see, I know he's like, oh, Paul became blind. That's cool. Think about this. You have been seeing all your life all your adult life, you've had sight. And one encounter, a confrontation with God, all of a sudden, you become blind. So think about the other senses that now have to kick in and take over because one sense has already been lost. You ever been there before? Where it's like, God, I now nah, this is your doing. Because watch what Paul does. The Bible says God calls out in a prayer for him. He says, hey, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, God, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does a Christian killer know the name of God? Who? How, how does a Christian, why would you even call out to something you don't believe in? Because you're persecuting people for calling out to the name that you just called out to. So watch what happens. In Paul's confrontation, it causes conversion. So now what happens is that when we look at confrontation, it's like, oh my God, that's such a bad thing. No, it's a God thing. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to let you know that what I'm trying to do with you and through you is to write a third of the New Testament. But if you would just surrender to me in this confrontation, I will convert you. Can I give you a word this morning? If you would just surrender in the confrontation between you and God and your idea and God's idea and your plan and God's plan, do you know that God will use the confrontation not to belittle you but to convert you? Had Paul not surrendered, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. all because of a confrontation leading to a conversion. One more issue, uh, not the issue of blood, woman at the well, can we, can you come in for a second, man? We need your help. The Bible says that there's a woman at a well. We're talking about precepts. We're going to get to worship in a moment. That she, she's at a well, and um, the Bible says, Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. I have to meet this woman. But can I tell you what was more important? This is going to mess y'all up. Can I tell you what was more important than really Jesus meeting the woman? The person obeying to dig the well. The person obeying God to just simply dig the well. I know we, we give the woman so, like, Jesus, that, that's great. What would have happened if the person hadn't been obedient to dig in a place that God was going to use to meet this woman. So they get to the well, and uh, Jesus starts having conversation with her. Uh, notice how all these scriptures, God is, God is connected to the confrontation or the conversation, and his presence is always manifested. Somehow, the Bible says that his presence in Genesis literally came and walked in the cool of a garden. Paul cries out God, and now this woman is in the presence of Jesus, and they're having a conversation, and... Uh, they're having a conversation about worship, but he says, hey, you know what? Great. Before we get to this conversation about worship, let, let's talk about some presets that you have in your life. Let's, let's talk about you've had five presets, Elder Anita, five. 
you've already had five precepts and you've given them names and unfortunately you have given them the most intimate part of you when that really belongs to to me five different men that have walked around with the most intimate part of who you are and the one you're with is not even yours that's the bible says the one you're with ain't yours ain't ain't so whose is this that whose is this See, I know I, this, I, I just see the Bible literal like this the one you with right now is not your husband so let's talk about why you feel the need to be intimate there when I've already created a space for you to be intimate with a man but this man doesn't want to take from you he wants to give to you so they're having a conversation about worship and and she goes on this this rent you know we don't know we worship here or there and Jesus says alright I'm going to put it into this I see you here digging at this natural well and, and I know you need sustenance but he says if I give you water you will never thirst again he says if you will just tap into what I've already preset you'll never be thirsty again um preset so God does things way in advance before we get there so when we get there we can use the chair for what it's intended to be used for and not pervert it. This brings us to our main text, the present of presence worship. In Matthew 118, 24, we see um, the entrance of Jesus into the world, and we see three, at least three, if not four, if I add the fourth at the end, four things happen, but three for sure. The first thing that we see is communication. Write that down, communication. Point one, communication. 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 Notice, notice what the angel tells Joseph. Let's go back to Matthew 1.20. Can we throw the scripture back up? Matthew 1.20. Matthew 1.20. Notice what the angel tells Joseph. He says, but after Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son you to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Last verse, verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets, the preset people to speak on behalf of God. Here's what that means. It wasn't a surprise to God. And the way that he showed up, the interest that he showed up was all set up by God. Who his name was meant to be was all set up by God in the beginning because God has this idea about worship. And one of the things that happens when we get into corporate worship is scientifically proven, our heartbeats all start beating the same pace. Do research. When you get into true worship, our heartbeats literally align and start beating at the same pace. Worship is a unifier. It's a unifier. It's a unifier of the mind. It's a unifier of heart. It's a unifier of spirit. So God says, when in worship, there's communication. In other words, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to say, do this. I'm going to give you specific instructions. But not also is it communication. Point two, it's information. Write that down. It's information. Let's go to Matthew 123. Information. It's information. Watch what Matthew 123 says. 
God says, I'm speaking. I'm, I'm not just speaking arbitrarily. I'm, I have a plan and a purpose to get you somewhere. I need you to listen. He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So watch this. God is just not out there arbitrarily throwing stuff out. If, if there is no, um, what's the word? If it doesn't make sense, because God is a God, that, and, I, and he makes sense when he speaks. You got to ask him. I know, but he'll, he'll, he'll make it make sense. I'm that God that believes when God says something, you don't understand it, go back and pray again. Hey, okay, um, listen, uh, King, um, I know you got leprosy, and I know you want to be healed. I know you don't, I know you want to be in a prestigious river. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to take your prestigious self and go dip seven times. And on the seventh time, you'll come up healed. Now imagine if he would have never dipped the seventh time. Would God have been at fault or would have been the king's fault? And what we do is we say, God, it's your fault. And God's like, no, no, I gave you specific instructions. You just didn't obey them fully. God doesn't make sense. Go back and ask him. So God is saying in worship, I'm giving out, I'm giving out information about who I am. I'm giving out information about what you're to call me in this situation. I'm giving out information about who you are. He, he says, Joseph, son of David. He, that is, that, that son of David, the, one of the other times you hear that in the scripture is the blind man. When Jesus is passing by, he cried, son of David, son of David. That is, that is an intimate name. He says, God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a name and I'm going to also give your son a name, the son that I need you to carry. So in other words, I'm going to give you specific instructions. Just listen to my voice. The last thing that he's doing in worship is transformation. Now, this is good. Transformation. The Bible says um, in Matthew 2, the next verse, the next chapter, it says, so these three men saw this star appear above, and they followed the star. They're called Magi. And they followed the star where the, where the house was. And when the star was over the house, they stopped. They go in. They open up their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is indicative of where they are from. So this is a multicultural type of worship situation. It's, it's very, it's very multi. Go back and look at the gifts and the people that gave them. They weren't all from the same place. So um, it's a very multi. So they go and they open up the gifts and they worship. And the Bible says, King, before they do this, King Herod says, hey, where are you going? Because he understands their gift. Watch this. He understands their gift and he understands that they can perceive God even when he can't. So what he does is he tries to attach onto them to use their gift to pervert it for his purpose. And you've got to be careful for people who try to attach on to you for your gift to pervert it for their purpose. Because if you allow them to attach on, you will abort what God is trying to birth. So, transformation. So the Magi, they come in and they open up their gifts. And the Bible says, watch this, two things happen. Being divinely warned in a dream, the Magi, they get up, they leave, and the angel tells them to go another way. That's number one. Number two, the Bible says that an angel came to Joseph and said, hey, get up. Pharaoh, uh, not Pharaoh, Herod's trying to kill Jesus. Get up and leave and, and go. So that means that when they left, their minds didn't just leave. Like their bodies had to follow their minds. And they had to will themselves to go in this direction that was completely different than the way they thought about going back. Because the Bible says they had to go, in other words, God had to chart out another direction 
for them to go to be saved. So what that lets me know in worship is that it doesn't just change my mind, but it transforms my body and everything that's connected to my head and my heart have to follow the plan of God. Watch this. Even if it is a new way, even if I've never done it like this before, I've still got to follow God because it's about worship. It's, it's, it's transformation in his presence. There's healing in his presence. There's breakthrough. And his presence isn't always going to be manifested here at 4999 Holly Drive because you're not here every day. So if this is the last place you worship between now and next week, we're in trouble. I'm talking about worship outside the scope. I'm talking about the, the whole entire, the entire thing because the worship didn't just change the Magi's mind. It saved their lives. Because Herod was hot when he found out that, that they didn't come back and tell him where the baby was. He was ready to kill him, which is what the devil will try to do is discourage you right after your greatest moment of worship and breakthrough. There's always an enemy on your territory. And because God is God of presets, he's already pre-designed your exit strategy. The Bible says there is no temptation under, under known to man, excuse me, that God has not already provided a way of escape. What does that mean? I'm telling you, he put the chair there before the temptation was there. So if you keep walking, you, you'll find your door. You, you, you'll find the door that you're looking for. So that's Joseph's point of view. Now Mary has a completely different point of view. If you go to Luke, come on Josh, if you go to Luke, you're going to find Mary is told that, hey, you know what? Hail Mary, blessed thou among women. Hey, you, yes, you. Yes, ma'am, you. Hey, Mary, Mary, yeah, you, I know you're young, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but you're going to conceive something of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And yes, I know Joseph is not going to understand it in the beginning, but I'm going to send my angels to him, but I just want to confirm it with you. You're going to conceive the Savior of the world. And the Bible says Mary had to think, she said, wait a minute, I'm going to do what? I, I wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to do what? Some theologians will suggest that everybody was trying to have the Messiah. Everybody was looking forward to being the one to give birth to the Messiah. But God is always resisting the proud. His presence is always resisting the proud. He's looking for the one that's humble. The one that'll say, God, use me. And I don't care if anyone sees it. I don't care if I get the credit. It's your glory. It's your purpose. It's done by design and it's of you. So if I never make the stage, God, my life will still glorify you. If my name is never put in the lights, my life will still glorify you. And the Bible says Mary had to ponder on these things. And after Mary pondered on these things, I want you to hear what Mary said. Now, my, my Bishop Terrell Fletcher study stuff, um, uh, if you look this up in Luke, it's called Mary's Magnificat. Your Bible may say Mary's song. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what Mary did. After she had received everything that God had said to her, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, in reading that, it's like, okay, that's cool. But if you go back and do research, you're going to find out that Mary didn't say that, Elder Anita. That's, that's not how it would have been presented. Not when Mary is responding to the one of the most crucial introductions to the worship of God being on the inside of her. Mary would have responded something much so like this. Turn it up, Josh. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on generations will call me blessed this is how Mary would have responded to him for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name for the mighty one has done great things for me holy holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds he has performed mighty deeds he has performed mighty deeds with his arms he scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Here's what she would have said. He has brought down the rulers, brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Yeah. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised. You're saying, well, that's cool. That's Mary's song. So maybe your song says, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Maybe this is your song. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. Altogether worthy. Yeah. Altogether wonderful to me. I hear you. So here I am to worship with my gold. Here I am to bow down with my frankincense. Here I am to say that you're my God. Receive my mercy. You're altogether lovely. 
You're all together worthy. You're all together wonderful to me. And I could imagine the Magi coming in and saying, you know what, there's another one. Bow down and worship him. Worship him. With their gifts. Oh, worship him. Bow down and worship him. They would say, enter in. Come on, Joseph. Come on, Mary. Yeah. Oh, enter in. Consuming fire. Sweet perfume. Your awesome presence fills this room. This is holy ground. Right at his birth, I can hear him. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. So come and bow. Bow down. Will you join me by lifting your hands in this moment and opening up your mouth and releasing worship to the one that needs to be worshiped? Come on, yeah. The priest said in the beginning was always worship. It was to come and worship the king. Emmanuel, God with us. That was God's preset. It wasn't about presence and gifts. It was about his presence, being in the earth, being worshipped, being adored, being honored, being magnified. Come on, city. You are God. And we worship you. You are God. This is what they would have done. And we worship. Come on, worship me. Help me. You are God, and we worship. Yeah, you are God. Yeah, and we come on, every voice. You are, you are God. And we, you are God, you are God, and we worship. Yeah. You are God, you are God, and we worship. You are, let's go, and we worship you.